first reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 20, and this can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1156. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, are of all people the most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This second reading is found in Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 17, page 1033 in the Church Bible. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Really nice to be with you again. I'm intrigued by these two glass. What are they? What are they for? 
I got a very cryptic email from Tim the other day saying, if anyone asks you what they're for, saying, uh, just tell them, yes, that's the right question. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe there's going to be an elaborate floral display or, or something. Anyway, that's by the by. It's good to be with you. Let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here. Your presence is tangible. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning through this passage from Luke that we might know how you're calling us to be as your followers in this world that we live and during these times we're experiencing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there were one important character from my childhood who I might dragoon from the animals of history in order to impart a level of spiritual wisdom to you all, it is <laughs> Mr. Topsy-Turvy. Can you see him? He should be there. I did have a slide with him on, but it's disappeared. Anyway, do you remember Mr. Topsy-Turvy? Uh -huh. Yeah, I loved that book when I was little, and I enjoyed reading it to my children as they were growing up when they were really tiny. Mr. Topsy-Turvy, for me, he says it all. He lives with, uh, with all the others, with all the other little, uh, little misses and Mr. Men in this wacky world. And he is the craziest of them all, I think. He has, um, uh, his whole way of life is based upon the upside-down principle, okay? Because his house is built upside down. He drives his car in reverse. He wears socks on his hands, etc., etc. He's, he's an oddball. He's different to the others. And I want us to be encouraged this morning that, um, that we're each living for a different kingdom. We're living with the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God. And it's one not fully here yet, we know that, yet one that cannot be stopped. The kingdom of God is coming in. It's unstoppable. It's racing towards us like a steam train. And as we examine Luke 6, I want us to see that the kingdom of God makes a mockery of worldly values. Jesus praises what the world rejects and rejects what the world praises. Heaven, like topsy-turvy, works on the upside-down principle. So here we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, and Jesus has just chosen his 12 disciples whilst up the mountainside, and he now has an inner circle, okay, as they all head back down to a level place. And Jesus proceeds to teach the crowds, loads of them, some are also his disciples, and maybe feeling a little bit cheesed off because they weren't called up the mountain to become one of the inner circle, but they're all there. And there's others from all over Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal regions. I mean, that's, you know, what a draw this guy Jesus had. In such a short space of time, Jesus' popularity is absolutely snowballed. People have come to hear him teach. They're putting faith in his ability to heal the sick and deliver those oppressed by evil spirits. People are trying to touch him because power is coming out from him and healing them all. This is unlike anything they've ever experienced, and he is like no other they've seen or heard before. Imagine something similar happening today. It would be all over Facebook, wouldn't it? If they heard Jesus was in Chelmer Park, some mainly out of uh, nosiness, would be flocking in their droves. Oh, what's going on at Chelmer Park? What's, who's this guy? Others will be bringing sick kids in pushchairs or elderly relatives in wheelchairs. 
to be healed by this Jesus guy? There'd be a group of keen followers, wouldn't there, saying, oh yes, I, I, me and my wife, we heard him last week in uh, Promenade Park in Malden. Oh, he's very good. Yeah, you just take your people up and he'll heal them. He's brilliant. Just imagine that. What a draw he had. Here then in Luke 6 is what's been called the Sermon on the Plain. Jesus coming down to address the vast crowds. And scholars, they're not too sure about whether this is Luke's version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount or whether it's just another episode in Jesus' public ministry with similar teaching. Totally plausible. But you'll notice that this episode, unlike Matthew's account, has something quite different, doesn't it? It has woes. Matthew, Matthew does have some woes himself, but he kind of saves these up for later on in chapter 23. And you can read all about that when you get home. It's quite, a, uh, quite a, an attack on the Pharisees of the day. The Greek word for woe is a little word called ouai. Everybody say ouai. It's, um, I think it's the Greek for aop. No, it's not really. Ouai. And it simply means alas or what a pity. Alas or what a pity. How terrible. And these woes are not said in judgment, but rather with a sense of regret and compassion by Jesus. They're not threats, but they are a challenge to those who aren't his followers. But before we get onto these woes, let's examine what he says first to his disciples as he addresses his blessings to his disciples. And he says, Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed. Happy. What's he saying? Does God love poverty? Well, clearly not. But when we rely on God because we have nothing else, materially or spiritually, then according to Jesus, we're happy. We're well off. Now, is that because we have no problems in life and everything's rosy? No but it means we're not self-reliant. We're reliant upon God. And he says, yours is, present tense, right now, yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom, you see, as soon as we join it, begins to live inside each and every one of us. Today, God sees your heart. He sees my heart. And we are therefore blessed because we're part of that family. That's a fact. Whatever we're going through, we are blessed. Blessed are you who hunger now. Now, as citizens, God promises to one day satisfy our hunger, whether that's physical hunger or spiritual hunger. Because Matthew says, doesn't he, in his version, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When our priority in life is not how much can I amass for myself, but how can I please God with what little I have, we're heading in the right direction, aren't we? We're hungering, we're thirsting for righteousness, we're, we're desiring to please our God. So today, God sees your heart and understands your hunger, your thirst, your yearning to please him. And because you belong to him and are citizens of his kingdom, he says, for you will be satisfied. One day, you'll be satisfied in entirety when the kingdom of God comes in all its fullness. Blessed are you who weep now. When we stop to weep at the state of the world, the brokenness within it and within our own lives, it's overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming. And you look at what goes on all around us in society, and it's painful to see. And what we see on the news, the situation in Yemen, the, the escalation of events, in Ukraine, it's overwhelming. How do we pray for it? 
How do we process it? It's a broken world, but we're called to cry out and pray for it to our God. Yet as you weep today, God sees your heart. And when you pray for the world, when you lament over it, God says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. One day when he returns, we will laugh with joy because there will be no more pain, no more injustice or suffering or sickness or death. It just won't be there anymore. It'll be gone. The old order would have passed away. Revelation 21, you know, wipe every tear away from our eyes. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Wow. Does that still happen? You bet it does. And more so, not just in regions where our brothers and sisters are persecuted, but even today, in the West, we may be excluded, insulted, rejected, maligned, misunderstood, passed over, ostracized, simply for loving Jesus. And when we suffer for being known as His, we're considered by God as blessed, as well off. Because an eternity of happiness actually awaits us one day. Think about it. An eternity of happiness. When the kingdom comes, it will be a question of, oh, how long long is this happiness going to last? Forever. Sorry, what? Forever. 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 Wow. Forever in the presence of our king. Wow. Wow. Jesus never said, follow me and it's going to be a breeze, did he? Later in his ministry, he quite clearly stated, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And yet, one day we will enjoy an eternity of happiness in his presence that will make sense of all of the denying and all the cross-carrying. Here on the plane, Jesus says we're blessed when we're hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected. We're blessed. Okay, but then what? Rejoice and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. We stand in a long line of God's people, don't we, who who also suffered for being known as his, the prophets. Jesus says that they were treated likewise. They were ostracized, insulted, rejected, maligned passed over, misunderstood. I love um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews is such a great letter. Hebrews 11 is like the great hall of fame of all those wonderful heroes of the faith who were ordinary like you and I, and yet God called them to do specific things at specific times in specific ways and empowered them to do that. But they were like us. And the writer of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them. None of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So they were called to do amazing things, but they never quite saw the goal of what they were called to do. You know, they they came to the end of their lives, went to be with their Lord, and so on and so on and so on through history. Yes, some people were fortunate enough to see Jesus and be his disciples when he was on earth. But even then, they still hadn't seen the complete fullness of God's kingdom because that's still to come. So 
That's our hope as it was the hope of those people of old. One day, the kingdom is coming in all its goodness. And as we follow Christ, we should know deep down that justice is coming. Justice is coming. God's going to put things right. Today, God sees your heart, whatever you might be going through today as you sit here, whether that's a rejection in some way, whether it's sadness that you're carrying, whether you are crying out for justice of some kind, or you've perhaps been through something really awful as a Christian that, that you're just trying to process at the moment. Wherever you're at today, you are blessed because you are His. You belong to Him. And something better's coming. And it won't always be this way. So during this time of longing for the kingdom, we are not alone. We are blessed. Makarios is the Greek word, and it simply means happy. So it's entirely possible as a Christian to experience the hardships of this world and yet at the core of our being still have a deep sense of happiness, joy, and inner fortitude. You may have experienced that yourself. This is the presence of God in your life. What did we sing earlier? I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Because whatever's going on, we can feel that fortitude within us, that sense of peace and the presence of God with us. Others may think you're mad for still clinging to a God who in their eyes hasn't prevented you going through hard times. But this is your inner turvy, your inner topsy-turvy, your peace, your rock-solid conviction that God is always with you no matter what. You're living under a different code now that you're his. Now that you're in his family, your inner hard drive functions on a different operating system to this world. The software, the values, the upside-down principles of the kingdom of God, they are yours today, and they're at work in your life. You're a new creation in Jesus, and you are therefore blessed. Fact. We just need to own that truth and remind ourselves of it every day. But um, to the crowd, to society, to culture, to all who listen, Jesus proclaims, but woe to you who are rich. Alas, how terrible. Well, enjoy your wealth and your life, that's it, that's all you get. Enjoy it while it lasts. Woe to you, for you have already received your comfort. Eternity's coming. Woe to you who are well fed now, Jesus says. Did anyone see the BBC documentary um, Inside Dubai, Playground of the Rich? Did anyone see that? Whew. I turned on to watch that. I, I, I felt sick at the end of it, if I'm honest, because of the sheer opulence. I mean, it wasn't just people who were just a little bit wealthy and well-off, you know, comfortable. These were people who were uber-rich, expats and also... Uh, rich Emiratis. Uh, there was one guy who was, I think he was the son of one of the, the, the big sheikhs, and he had a fleet of high-end cars, and he was just taking in his Rolls Royce to get it resprayed because he just fancied a different color than the previous week, as you do. Um, filthy rich, and I just felt sick watching it. You know, there were people who had uh, 
huge houses and they employed a whole team of staff from the Philippines to come over and wait on them and they looked after them well but it took the Filipino staff away from their country and their families. One lady had a little baby she hadn't seen for years because she was too busy earning money for the family serving these rich people in Dubai. And I just, it was just wrong. Everything in it just made me feel awful. There's nothing wrong, though, with having money. We all know that it's what you do with it that counts. But this, as I say, just made me feel pretty sick to watch. Alas, how terrible, Jesus says, that you're so self-reliant and don't think you need me. You're comfortable and you ignore the plight of others. Well, you've had your reward now. You may be full, but you're spiritually bankrupt. And in my kingdom, you're considered a pauper for you will go hungry. Eternus is coming. Woe to you who laugh now. Alas, how terrible. That you're, a sup- that you're, you know, you're so superficial. You're, your easy take on life is all frothy and light. Your thinking is so shallow that you don't even stop to contemplate eternity. But you just live in the moment. That's our culture today, isn't it? Living in the moment, living for the moment, living for the next experience, living to amass stuff for stuff's sake. And we, as people here, are not immune from that. We're bombarded every day, aren't we, with that message, buy, 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 in order to satisfy. (laughs) But it won't satisfy. But they want to drag us into the cult of the next thing. Buy that, and then you'll want that, and then you'll want that. And there's also a lot of what I say uh, is distraction culture today. It's so easy to just sit and watch whatever's on TV because now we've just got it. Anything we want to watch, any time, we can just do that, can't we? Uh, and uh, we've got loads of things to distract us in, in, in leisure pursuits. We've got this, that, and the other. You can go to the cinema. You can go out and eat a meal out if you've got the money to do so every night of the week. Whatever. It's so easy to be distracted. And I think one of the enemy's biggest... Uh, weapons against the church is to distract them from the work of the kingdom. Not just from prayer and not just from meeting together, but also going out and doing stuff and, and, and being a Christian presence. It's not wrong to have entertainment and leisure. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we live in a distraction culture and a consumeristic culture. That's the way of the world, and we do have to fight against being swallowed up by this stuff. Everything in moderation, right? everything in perspective. But to the world, Jesus says, alas, how terrible, for you will mourn and weep. Remember, these woes, they're not said in judgment, but rather with a sense of regret and compassion. Eternity's coming, and God loves the world. He loves us. But he has to say woe to those things which aren't of his kingdom, because there's consequences to not following and obeying Jesus and the way of the kingdom. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Alas, how terrible that you're making so little prophetic impact on society that no one's got a bad word to say against you. Everyone must love you. For that is how their ancestors treated the what? The false prophets. Israel loved to hear a false prophet, didn't they? Their cry of peace, peace when there was no peace. 
It's not wrong to be well thought of, but what's our motivation for being well thought of? Truth or popularity? And I think the church has to be careful about this within society today. Otherwise, in order to win all people, it can easily sell out to the cultural winds of political correctness whilst toning down the prophetic truth of the gospel in order to be, well, more palatable. The comedian David Mitchell, uh, in an article I was reading the other day about comedy in the church, he said this of the Church of England, which carried quite a lot of weight, I thought. He says, from converting people to its doctrines, it seems more concerned with accommodating the faithless. There's some truth in that statement. We try and reach out to all people, and we dumb down in the process. We dilute the truth a little bit, make it a bit more palatable. Cultural and spiritual accommodation is a dangerous game for the church to play. We need to be distinct, and we need to have a distinctive so that when people look at us, there's something different. It's not just another club that they can come and be a part of because they're in need of community. I mean, yes, there's that element of community and family in the church, but there's got to be something different when people come here. We must remain a prophetic voice of truth and hope in our society today. We must declare a different story to the one that culture narrates every single day to us. Jesus says, what a shame. Alas, how terrible. Real prophets speak the truth, even when it makes them unpopular. You must have really sold out. Eternity's coming. So, Luke 6, the Sermon on the Plain, it asks of us today, how are we going to live within our surrounding culture? I think we should live like Mr. Turvey there. Put our socks on our hands? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Put our metaphorical socks on our hands. Put the kingdom of God's socks on our hands. Live differently. Because the kingdom of God makes a mockery of worldly values. Jesus praises what the world rejects and rejects what the world praises. To be called blessed or happy by Jesus doesn't mean we'll all have an easy life. Of course it doesn't. It can't mean that. Just look at the world around us and look at what's happening in some of your lives today. We're broken, and we sometimes break other people, and others sometimes break us. Yet, are we going to live as if another kingdom's values are our basic operating system? I hope so. It costs us, though, to keep following Jesus, doesn't it? But eternity's coming, and Jesus wants to bring in his kingdom through us and through our cracked jars of clay, our lives. One day it will come in all its fullness, but until then we're to live counter-culturally in that spirit of topsy-turvy. And let's think about all of Jesus' gospel teaching on the kingdom in Luke's gospel. You know, Mary singing out the Magnificat, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. All of those other wonderful stories that talk about a different way of living. Because this... This Bible is a living document which declares that the way to live out our faith is always to live counter-culturally. And it seems to me today that we need to be braver than ever as we hold out this truth to other people. We've got to be brave. But how do we be brave? How do we live in the way of topsy-turvy? How do we live the way of the kingdom? 
Well, quite simply, it's this, and it's what we go on to see in the rest of Luke's gospel. Love and pray for our enemies, but don't judge them. Bear good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Build our lives upon Jesus, the solid rock. Sow the seeds of the gospel wherever and whenever. Shine and don't hide the light of Christ in you. And keep trusting, longing, and hoping for the coming kingdom of God. Amen.